gospel, to preach the gospel, to give my testimony, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in hearts and lives. And he's the only one that can save. Uh, I have a couple people on my mind tonight. I know they may be watching. Uh, you know that we prayed for Charlie this morning. We prayed for him in the men's prayer breakfast. But uh, Charlie Parrish has been a good friend, and he's been my Barnabas. And Judy uh, Bradley is another one probably listening tonight. And, and I do thank God uh, for your live stream and for all the people that are listening tonight via your live stream. Now, I hope none of them uh, could be here and would, would rather stay at home and listen to this than be here. Uh, because let me tell you, when you're not here, you miss the fellowship and just, just uh, the camaraderie that this church has. This church has one of the sweetest spirits, and I hope that never leaves of any church I go into. And I love you guys, and boy, do I ever need your help right now. But most of all, I need the Lord's help. And I do want to give uh, my personal testimony of what God has done in my life. So let's pray. As I pray, you bow your heads. You please pray with me. Oh, Father in heaven, how lucky and how fortunate, not luck, I don't even believe in luck, but how blessed we are to think about you, that you would come to die on that old rugged cross for such a worm as me. And Lord, I tell you, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. But Lord, how I need your help tonight. I want to proclaim what you've done for me. I want to give you all the honor and the glory. And God, I just thank you for this. I ask you to be with me. Clear our hearts and our mind from the world, Lord, and allow put a hedge of protection around this building and around our hearts, Lord, that we may hear from you tonight. Use me as you see fit, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Used to have this memorized. I probably won't even try to do it by memory. The last time he did that, I messed up. So Ephesians 2 says this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." that in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, with God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and having no hope, and without God in this world. But now, I love that, I love that phrase, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know, I'd like to take you back about three quarters of a century, and this is older than many of you are. And uh, I was the fourth child uh, brought into a home of Carl and Melba Norris. I had uh, one sister, Shirley Ann, a brother, Kenny, and, and Tom. They welcomed me into this home, and 
From birth until I was 18, uh, I lived what the world would call a, a normal life. Not what Christians would, but what a world would call. No one in my family knew Jesus Christ, but I can tell you this, there was a lot of earthly love in, in my family. There really was. I had a good childhood, you know. Even in my early life, though, I found myself dabbling with sin. Uh, but from age 18 to 21, I lived not only in the world, but I lived of the world. You can believe me on that. Ephesians 2 says, where I, where I, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know, after I graduated from high school, I went uh, to work in Indianapolis, Indiana, and there I was, an 18-year-old, I mean, country bumpkin working in the big city, you know, and uh, of course, a lot of things alerted me up there that I shouldn't have seen. But then I was drafted into the Army when I was about 21 years old, and uh, just uh, about five months before my 22nd birthday, I married Bertha Jean Livers. As, as the world would put it, I had sowed my wild oats, and I was ready to settle down and and, uh, and you raise a family like I was raised in. Well, that's what I did. I took my family to church every Sunday. I got my children baptized. I got them as soon as they were born. I got, they were confirmed at age 14. And well, what I was really doing and didn't know it was making a futile attempt to keep my family out of hell. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I, I lived, I had religion, and I had a works religion. And it says, Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his, according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I got married, and I was a faithful husband until about age 28. And I'd always loved music and grew up with it. And uh, one night there was a man, a member of a band who was sick, and they asked me if I would sit in for him that night. And uh, that's what I did. And I wasn't fate unfaithful that night, but that night turned in to 10 years of playing music in the bars, the honky-tonks, and places that I shouldn't go. Satan works very slowly, very cunningly, and it took months to meet, we need to meet that woman of Proverbs 5. And folks, even my unsaved dad came to me and he says, Gary, a bar in those honky-tonks is no place for a married man. Unsaved, my unsaved father told me that. And I paid absolutely no attention to it. It says, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, I came out of the music world. My dad played music, and I think he was warning me maybe from what he had went through. I don't know that, but he, he played music. And, and through my study of music and the Word of God, I seriously believe that music, it gets into the lives of our young people and destroys their, their, their very souls. Uh, and most people don't even feel like there's anything wrong with it. They'll put it on for background music for their kids to go to sleep, and it wouldn't be the right kind of music. You know. Well, they're right, in a sense, because Satan is the deceiver. And we need to check out and do what the Scripture says about music. And there's 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 30, 31, Colossians 3, 17, 3, 23. You know, I, I, I saw 
my grandson addicted to music. I was working at Camp Chetek, that would have had to have been either 1998 or 201, and he seen me working there and he wanted to go. He said, Grandpa, I'd like to go up there and spend the summer as a work aide, you know, and all that. And I said, great, you know what I mean? So I got him a list of what the requirements was for him to go. And then I, it showed in there that you couldn't take your, back then, your Walkmans and stuff. And he said, well, Grandpa, I can't go without my music. And didn't go. I, I mean, kids get addicted to music just like some of the other things that people get addicted to. And I tell you what, it'll always, 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 the wrong music will always take you down the wrong path, and the right music will always lead you to the cross. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. From age 28 to 36, my life was full of ups and downs, and I can look back now and see I was on a steady downhill path is what I was on. I didn't know it then, you know. I, I was in the world's mind a success. I had made a success in business and and, and really, that success in business allowed me to do things that I ought not do. I had the money to do and go places that I shouldn't go, you know. And I tried to uh, meet, I tried to be a faithful husband, and, but without God in my life, and after tasting the pleasures of sin for a season, and you believe me, there is a season to sin. And meeting the woman of Proverbs 5, I fell into that Mari pit that Satan has planned for all of us. John 10, 10 says, but the thief cometh, but to steal, to kill, and destroy. Satan desires to steal time from your family, to kill relationships, and to destroy lives. And that's exactly what he did for me and my family. At age 36, I got a divorce. Uh, <clears throat> I know you've heard the old saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I'm telling you today, at age 73, I'm still paying a price for my sins of the past. I mean, man, I tell you what, I, I, I love to preach the, in these prayer breakfasts. A lot of times I'll get an opportunity to preach a Saturday morning prayer breakfast, and I like to warn men about watching where they go, watching what they look at, and just, you know, just sort of taking things nonchalantly. Because I tell you, it will cost you more than you want to pay. I mean, you take your, your kids when they get married, when things graduate, uh, any kind of, of social event. Then Christmas comes around, and it's, everything is always a pull. And who pays the price? The kids pay the price because they're stressed between who do I go with, where do I need to be, and usually the courts up, court ends up settling that. You know. I found out all of Satan's promises turned to be, out li to turn to be at lies, and if I'd only read my Bible, I would have known that he's a liar and the father of it, John 8, 44. My family fell apart. My wife remarried and moved out of town. My children would much rather have been with their mother, but wanting to continue in the school in their hometown, they spent a lot of time with me. I was living life in the fast lane, fancy cars, uh, fancy homes, beautiful women, and sin, sin, sin. And let me tell you, beloved, your sins will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. Ephesians 2, 2, and 3 says, Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
I'm telling you, the example that I was putting before my children was terrible. Uh, my oldest daughter, Jody, she, she was sick of my life, and I literally think she got married just to get out of the home. She was only 18 years old. Man, I want you to tell you this right now, and I want you to listen up if you have daughters. Daughters are going to find someone to love them. And if it's not you, it'll be someone else, and it might not be the one of your choosing. Jody, now being graduated from high school, announced to me that she was getting married, and I, I had no idea that she had gotten saved. You know, <clears throat> I was concerned about one person, numero uno. And she was going to marry a Catholic. She wasn't going to marry a Catholic boy. She did not want to get married by a priest. She did not, did not want to have her uh, a Catholic ma marriage in, a, in the church. And when I think about it, how I was living, can you imagine someone living the lifestyle that I was living and would worry about some of these decisions? But I did. I told her I, told her I would not support any of it. But uh, I did, and later on, uh, I, I would like to give you that story, but God really worked in my heart, and uh, it's another story in and of itself. Ecclesiastes 10:12 says, the words of a wise man are gracious. I was working at the government uh, as a civilian, and one of my superiors, uh, well, one of my superior commanders that was going to come in was named Frank Bernhardt. He was going to be our new commander. And I'll never forget uh, the day when he came to my office and asked me if I wanted to go for a ride with him. Well, uh, I, I didn't want to go for a ride with him. I lied and I said yes, but I, I didn't feel I had a choice. But, you know, Frank, we're talking about testimonies tonight. Frank had a testimony even before he came uh, to work there. Uh, no one else ever had that kind of testimony before they came to work in my office building. Uh, they, they said they, they was talking about Frank. He, they said he didn't have a... a a TV, and I thought, well, nobody can live without that. And, and you know, and I, they said he homeschooled his children. I had no idea what homeschooling was or what any of that meant. I didn't, you know, I just didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't there. I mean, I didn't. I was living in the in the world and of the world, and didn't know anything about Christianity. Even though I would have called myself a Christian because I was in a religion. Anyway. Uh, like I said, I lied to Frank and told him that I'd like to go for a ride with him. I'll never forget that ride. You believe me. He, he told me that, that I was going through some tough times trying to raise those three children. And, and he kept on about my life. And I thought, this guy's snooping around my office, finding out everything about me. Why is he doing this? You know what I mean? I had no idea that that commander had came and was going to church where my daughter was going to church. And she was feeding him for everything. She told him everything about me, what I'd done, what I was doing. And God put him in the pathway, and God used him mightily, you know. But he said, I, I know it's really hard raising those children on, but if you will give your burdens to the Lord, trust in him with, with your life, and just take it one day at a time, God will help you through this. And I'm telling you, I had cut something. God was working in my heart because they had started praying for me. I can tell you this, too. You're saved today. You, you think about this. If you're saved today... Someone was praying for you. And don't you ever, ever give up on someone until they, until they go home to be with the Lord or until they go home to another place that we don't want to talk about tonight. My sister, I prayed for her for 25 years. My sister got saved at age 89, 79, and she's 84 this year, and she's living for the Lord, loves the good preaching and everything else. Never, never, never give up on anyone.
God didn't give up on me. You're saved today. God didn't give up on you. Well, Jody and Frank and the church at Crane, all of them were praying for me. I didn't know that at the time. And I can almost, like I said, I can almost guarantee you someone was praying for you when you got saved. You know, so never give up. <clears throat> there was another guy, person that God put in my life. His name was Jim Matsko. Jim worked there at the Naval Weapons Support Center Crane where I did. He was an engineer. And uh, I, I've got to tell you, I treated him like a dog. I really did. I was a rascal. You believe me, you don't want to know about my anything past the 31 years ago about me. I was a rascal, and, but you know, I treated him like a dog, but do you know how Jim responded to me with love and kindness, getting out of the way when I'd walk down the hallway, things of that nature? And it's a joy to tell the rest of this story. The first day I was back uh, to my job, <clears throat> after being saved, Jim was the first person I wanted to talk to, and I was so disappointed because he was off that day, you know. It was hard to wait till the next day to work. I could be able to tell him that I'd gotten saved. Finally, the next day I arrived, and I went to his office. I said, hey, Jim, uh, may I talk with you? And I, he was already nervous. And he said, sure. And I said, may I shut the door? And, and he told me, he said, I said, sure. But he said, as I said that, Gary, he said, I grabbed my seat, and I said, Lord, I know he's going to hit me. You've got to help me. And a little more sheep, I got, I told him that, you know, I said, uh, the, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I said, uh, I want to tell you, I, I was sorry for how I've treated you. And we went on. And, of course, we, he rejoiced with me and everything else. And he couldn't wait to get home to tell his wife. And, of course, they had been praying for me. He said, I want to tell you, Gary Norris got saved. And she said, don't you believe him? That's just another one of his tricks. You know, he's got to watch him. Watch your back, you know. So I always said I felt like the Apostle Paul when, Apostle Paul, when they didn't want him to, the, the, the disciples didn't want, uh, they were afraid of him, didn't want him to join them, you know. So, but I love this story, and I still tease Diane about it, and I'm still in touch with them, even though they're living in North Carolina. Well, after divorcing, I had, I had dated, and I was determined never to remarry. And what I was saying is I just wanted to continue to live a life of sin and fornication and how God hates to see us live like that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor thieves, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In July 1987, uh, this lady I was uh, dating, a man broke into her house, and uh, he violated her and threatened her. And she said if she called the police or anything, I mean, he put all kinds of threats on her. And she called me and was hysterical. And I'd been out all night drinking with some uh, executives from, from uh, Washington, D.C. that had came in the Naval Weapons Support Center crane. And I just, I, I didn't make, pay much attention to her. I, I, I thought things like this, they don't happen in a town of 3,000. You know, it's just a podunk village. And she's just, uh, just trying to get me to get away from these guys and get out there to see her. And our, our relationship in reality was always borderline, love, hate. And I was sick and tired of the kind of life I was living. And God was working in my heart. And see, I didn't know that. But I walked out of her life and had no communication with her for seven weeks. And, uh, you know, but nothing, nothing seems, seemed to satisfy me. I, I, was, I had what the world wanted. I had, I had money and I had homes and cars and all the things that the world wanted. But I was the most miserable man walking around on planet Earth. Ephesians 2.12 said, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. 
you know, after a while, <clears throat> I got a little lonely and I called her and, and asked her if she'd meet up with me, with her, and our meeting was a disaster. And, and not only that, my, my nephew came and, and shared some things with me that I wouldn't even share in this congregation. Well, that weekend after that, I, I went on a drunken rage uh, thinking I could drink my problems away. You know, that's what the world uses, dr drugs and alcohol and things to get rid of their problems. But it never gets rid of your problem. It just always increases them. So I went to a resort that I often, often frequented, uh, and uh, again, a miserable man. I sat in my room, shattering glasses off the wall, and, and, and uh, you know what was funny? I called them and, and told them, I said, this is Gary Nars up in room so-and-so, and I told them what I did and everything else, and they said, that's all right, Mr. Nars, you're a, you're a good customer, you're just having a bad day. It's amazing how the world excuses things, you know. But I finally made it home on Tuesday evening, but I was in the worst physical, mental, and emotional shape that I've ever been in my life. Not, not even to mention my spiritual condition. I had a terrible night. But God, that's why I like that phrase so much, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our sins. You know, the next morning I got up and I took my children to school. My son-in-law Jimmy and my daughter Jody had spent the night with me and they wanted me to take them to Crane. Well, I was on my way to work. I just dropped them off, and uh, I proceeded to work. <clears throat> in 1987, I took over 600 hours of leave from my job, legal leave working for the government. Many days, I was just unable to function. I didn't know what was happening to me, uh, <clears throat> you know, but I finally found out that people were praying for me, and God was working in my life. I, started, I, I, started, I was starting to see... That sin was not that great after all. You know, that season was starting to end, the presence of sin for a season. I couldn't find contentment in anything I know now. There is no peace, no contentment, unless you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in your life. The Bible says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent him, draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. <clears throat> on September 2nd, 1987, I started through those gates that I had missed so many times where I worked, and I could not go through. I am telling you, if anyone doesn't believe that the Spirit of God draws a man, they should have been in my car that day. I, I turned that car around, and I went back to my daughter's house, and I asked her, I said, where is this Jeff Williams, that was the pastor, that, that you and Frank Bernhard are always talking about, you know. And uh, I was asking to see a man that married my daughter out of the Catholic faith and I wasn't very happy with. I, I thought he was my enemy, not my friend. And I can easily tell you now that I love him. He's became my pastor and friend. I call him every September 2nd for the last 31 years. I missed one time calling him on my spiritual birthday. And he's still in the ministry, still serving the Lord, still leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jody responded quickly, my daughter did, grabbed my grandson, Christopher, <clears throat> and drove me over to Jeff's house, which it wasn't very far. And I, I asked her, I said, just drop me off and I'll, I'll walk over and get my car when I'm done. And I went in and met a 32-year-old preacher in bib overhauls. He was getting ready to go out and paint a, a members uh, of the congregation uh, to paint their house. And we sat down and I opened my entire life up to him. I mean, Everything I did, you know. Jeff tried to find out where I was spiritually, and that didn't take long, believe me. <clears throat> and then he took me to the scriptures. And upon showing him, showing me my depraved condition, 
he asked me if there had been a time in my life when I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Well, when Frank Bernhardt had taken me for that ride, you know, I went through my spiel with him, my religious spiel with him. I told him, I said, I've been baptized. I go to church every Sunday, and I went through my religious spiel. And Frank, you know, I know that God gave him wisdom not to confront me that day. He just pointed me to another man. I think he done right. But when I tried to give my religious spiel to this pastor, he said, I didn't ask you that. He said, I asked you if you'd ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Not in your religion, not in your baptism, but in him and him alone. Of course, I had to hang my head in shame and say no. Then he asked me if I'd like to get on my knees and do it right then. We was in a little mobile home. That's where he lived. And I'm telling you, I got down on my knees with tears coming down my face and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. And that's been almost 32 years ago. And that day is as clear in my heart and my mind as if it were yesterday. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I want you to know that I had no idea in reality what had happened to me. I didn't know what salvation was, you know. But, you know, I, I didn't know what John 3 even said. You know, I, with my childlike faith, I had made the most important decision that I would ever make in my entire life. I, I pass out coins, and it says, where will you spend eternity? I just love to confront people with the fact that there is a day that you will spend eternity somewhere. The Bible says, it hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Pastor Jeff, after he led me to the Lord, gave me a book called A Rebuilder's Guide, and I wasn't much a reader at the time, and I'm still not much of a reader. I, I don't like to read. I love to read the scriptures, but I don't, you know, read, take time reading many books. That's where a lot of wisdom comes from. That's why I'm so, you know, what? So. But my goal was making money, and I'd done a good job at that. And next, I asked the pastor if I could go to the church and spend some time. And I don't have to tell you, that wasn't my normal run-of-the-mill thing to do on a Tuesday morning before, you know, it just wasn't what I did. You know, I, I, I hadn't been in ch church very long time when my daughter and my grandson came over to check on me. And I, I'm sure pastor called her and probably even told her what, what had happened. And I told Jody, I said, I need help. Didn't, not realizing at that point that I had all the help that I would never need in my entire life because I'd asked the Lord to save me. And I asked her to take me to Bloomington, Indiana. And I'd been told there was a new stress care center up there, and I felt like I had the stress that anybody needed to go there, I needed to go there. And uh, so it says, the steps of a good man, Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. When I, when I, asked at the, when I arrived at the admission desk, I, I was told without a physician's orders, I couldn't be admitted. And, I, you know, I don't know who or how, how God worked in this, but I was admitted, and I was placed in a place where I couldn't be disturbed. Matter of fact, once I got in this stress care center, I couldn't go out. I couldn't, nobody could come in to see me, and I couldn't go out. It was a secluded place for people like me. God put me there so I could do what I needed to do with the scriptures. And I started studying that Rebuilder's Guide, and for the first time in my life, 
when I'd read a scripture, it actually meant something to me. And no, I knew I was a sinner. I, I, I wanted to confess my sins. I knew I'd wronged a lot of people, and I wanted to tell them, and I wanted to ask for forgiveness. God was just working an unbelievable miracle in my life. The 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want to tell you right now, and for God's testimony in my life, that September 2nd, 1987 was the best day of my entire life. That day I was born into the family of God. Many years have passed and much has happened in my life. You know, in 89, I started Bible college and then I lost a daughter and a grandson in 1990 in an unusual accident. I started my ministry of Ambassador Baptist Bible College in 1993, took a mission trip with my daughter uh, in 1995, Went to another mission trip just to South Dakota in 96. Uh, trip to Washington State with Pastor John Allen in 97. Trip to Kenya, Niobe, Africa, missionary Michael Rains. And then in 1997, when I got back from that mission trip, Barnabas International was birthed. You know, uh, I started helping missionaries and pastors at home and abroad. Uh, my first ministry was in Mexico with the helping the Rosas, the Burkholders, the Holbrooks, Hornbrooks, and the Ellisons. Came back and I started working camp ministries, Camp Chatech. I went back to Mexico in, in 2000 and helped Pastor Bruce Burkholder. Uh, I returned to Camp Chatech the following year and worked up there. Went to Australia in 2002. I went to Uruguay and Argentina 205 and 203 and 205. Uruguay and Argentina again in 205 and 206. And then I started the USA circuit and started serving pastors uh, around the United States and haven't done as much uh, foreign travel as I did when I was a little bit younger. But I came off the road in 2015 and was in Lexington, Kentucky for four, four years uh, trying to upstart a drug and alcohol rehab, which never happened. And so it sold just a few months back, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I'm sort of like Pastor. He said he, just, he was so stubborn. He just didn't know what to do. He just Stayed here while I was so stubborn and don't know what to do. I just went back on the road at my age. I never thought I would. I'll be 74 next month. But uh, I have no desire but to serve my Lord and Master Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. And what, what I desire of this church right here is that, you, you know, that you'll pray that I don't remain, waste the remaining years that I have left serving him. I have some cards over here on the table. If you want to take one of these, there may not be enough. A lot of them are already gone, but if you want to take one of them, if you run out, I'll send Pastor another packet I've got. When I ordered them, the guy said, how many do you want? And he said, do you want 1,000? I said, well, I know I'm 74. I said, I don't think I can use that many. But, but anyway, God has been so wonderfully good to me. This church has been good to me. And I'm telling you, the Mundy family have been some of the greatest encouragement that I could ever have in my life. I love you guys. Thank you. And I think most of all, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, for saving me. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for allowing me to share what you've done for me. And God, it is my prayer right now. If there would just happen to be one person in this building that is not 100% sure they died today, that to go to heaven, that Lord, they would allow one of the men in this church, myself or anyone else, to share with them what it takes to be a child of God. And Lord, we thank you and praise you again for what you have done. 
what you're doing right now. And Lord, there's not a person in here that if they will submit their hearts and lives to you, that you won't use for your honor and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, he says, you're dismissed. Amen. Amen.